I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and today we're traveling in Turkey. Let's call it a road trip in Turkey, and we're joined by Melika Seval. Melika has been a tour guide for 40 years. Uh, she wrote the guidebook for Ephesus, my favorite ancient site in Turkey. Meli's from Izmir, and uh, she joins us in our studio today. Meli, thanks for being here. It's wonderful to be here, Rick. 40 years. You've been uh, hosting road trips for travelers, mostly Americans, traveling through Turkey. Forty years ago, I found myself in Anatolia, and I fell in love with Anatolia, and I've been doing it since then. Wow. Now, what's new in Turkey these days? A lot of people are thinking about Turkey because uh, Europe is so expensive for American travelers, and a lot of American travelers have seen Europe, uh, and they're thinking about Turkey. Give us just a, a, a quick update. What's, what's new for travelers? Turkey is becoming very easy to travel through because we have wonderful roads, excellent public transportation. We have airplanes leading, going to every corner of the country, so transportation is very good. We have comfortable hotels because we've had tourism for some years, so we know how to cater to the tourists. So it's a big country. I mean, the size of Texas, right? A little larger than Larger Texas. than Texas, with about 70 million people. Back when I was a kid traveling through Turkey, it was 24 hours on the bus to get somewhere. I mean, I remember many overnight bus rides and all-day bus rides across the country. Today, uh, I would imagine travelers hop on an airplane. They would hop on an airplane. Even if they go on the road on a bus, the buses are so comfortable and roads are so well, it doesn't take as long as it did. Compare bus teenage. travel with train travel in Turkey. Well, I love train travel. It's a very civilized uh, transportation. But beyond Ankara, train travel is not as convenient because we don't have as many scheduled trains. So taking buses to the east beyond Ankara is better. So would you say the only train that you'd obviously want to take is the major train connecting Istanbul and Ankara? Istanbul, Ankara, yes. Do most business travelers fly or take the train? Yes, they do. Which? The train. They take the train? Yeah, they All take right. the train. Great. When you were traveling, of course, Istanbul is almost like a Western European city as far as prices go. If you go outside of Istanbul, uh, what can you expect to find for prices in hotels? The hotels will run anywhere from $20 per person to $100 per person. And the difference in the price will really be obvious in the quality of the hotel room that you're taking. So the equivalent of a one-star hotel in, in Europe, uh, you know, not a, not a backpacker dive. But Let's a, not but say one-star, but two-star. Two-star hotel, what would you pay for that in a small about town? About $20 per person, including breakfast. So you can get a, a decent hotel for 40 bucks for a double. Yes, you can. And then after that, you go to a, a small restaurant. What would you spend for a meal? 10 to $15 will get you a good meal. Okay. And if you just want a, a quick lunch, a single plate, fast lunch at a cafeteria? 10 liras, so which about, is about like $10. Nine, $10. So you can pay $10 for a simple meal. Okay. Uh, are Americans welcome these days? The Americans are welcome, and Americans have always You said always that with some, uh, a little bit of hesitancy. No, no. I, I wanted to tell you something else. <laughs> you weren't in your tour promotion <laughs> No, mode no, there. no. 
<laughs> I wanted to tell you that you don't get a simple meal in Turkey. All the meals are excellent meals. So okay, that's that why was I was the, that was the tour promotion mode. Then, yes. but let's get into this. The late, you know, because all of the tension in the Middle East and so on, and and Turkey is ninety eight percent Muslim, but also Turkey is a great ally of the United States. Uh, the whole issue, we won't get into all the politics, but it's quite complicated now with the Kurdish yeah, situation. Turkish people are very hospitable. So whoever comes, regardless of their nationality, they will be very welcome. And the Americans can be very comfortable that they will be treated as human beings rather than what kind of passport they are carrying. When people find out that they are Americans, they will still be very welcomed, except they might be told certain things about the state politics or of the United States, but individually, they will be treated very well. So in other words, like in much of the world, I, I would say it's safe to say everywhere I've traveled, people recognize there's a difference between a country's government policies and the individuals of that nation. And anybody who's got half a brain will treat individuals as individuals and not be upset with them if they don't like that government's policies. On the other hand, the Turks do like to talk politics, and they're aware of this. And they will talk about politics, but uh, they will not make it personal for the visitor. When you're traveling through Turkey, for 40 years you've been taking Americans through Turkey. Has the reception for Americans and the um, general political feeling of Turks changed a lot in, in the 40 years. Tell me how that has changed. What, what are the highs I and lows? I think right after 9-11, we were very sympathetic with the Americans. So we would go overboard. We would invite people to have free dinners and lunches. And, you know, we would hug them when we saw them in the streets. But if we put that aside, I think it has been quite steady. Mm -hmm. The Americans have always been very welcome. Okay. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. And today we're talking road trip in Turkey. Melika Saval has joined us. Meli is a tour guide in Turkey. She has a, a website that explains all of her work. It's melitour.com, M-E-L-I-T-O-U-R.com. Melly, when people take a trip to Turkey, I would think eating is a big part of it. I've got some very good memories of eating in Turkey. What, as a tour guide, is your greatest delight in sharing the cuisine of Turkey with American travelers? I would enjoy the diversity because if one thing is not good for one person's taste and there's something else, the vegetarians will find themselves in heaven because we have, at all seasons, many different and very tasty vegetables. And then we have... Excellent yogurt. The French might not like me to talk about this, but our yogurt is really good, especially if you put it in a liquid form. We call it ayran. That's very tasty. And that's the standard for me now all over Europe. When I go to a little Turkish restaurant, I always have ayran to drink, really? this yogurt drink. It's wonderful. Tell me about uh, the Turkish pizzas. Turkish pizzas are very thin, they're very crispy, and they come with nice ground meat and tomato sauce. And if you're walking down the street, is it safe for a tourist just to go into a humble little hole-in-the-wall pizza shop in a small village and, and have one? It will be safe. Well, but they, they should use their common sense. If the restaurant or if that pizza place doesn't look clean, then they should not try it. But if it looks clean, if the person has something to cover their head, and it, it just check for the... For the general hygiene. For general hygiene. Okay. We've got some calls on the line. 
Our phone number is 877-333-RIC. That's 877-333-7425. Or you can email us anytime at radio at ricksteves.com. Thomas is on the line in Tuscaloosa. Hi, Thomas. Uh, hello, Rick. Melica. Hi. My question is, uh, I had a roommate in college who was from uh, Istanbul. So uh, I had an opportunity to travel there uh, extensively 15 years ago and traveled throughout most of Western Turkey with my family. Tremendously enjoyed it. Absolutely would reiterate all of your comments. I think it's a wonderful, friendly country. And I was wondering, uh, in the last 15 years, has there been any new uh, locations or attractions or perhaps uh, ruins that have been excavated in the, in the interim that uh, travelers might not have known about 15 years ago that are now developed and are, are kind of new and upcoming uh, places uh, for travelers to go? Yes, there has been quite a few excavations, new excavations, If you are traveling in Turkey, look for the yellow signs. Even if the excavation ancient site is a very small one, it will be marked with a yellow sign. If you want a name near Pergamum, they had excavated a Roman spa city, Alinoia, and it is superb. Unfortunately, in a couple of years, it's going to be left under the waters of a dam. So if anyone is really interested in seeing unique sites, you have to hmm. go there before it's too late. Alanoia. Yes. Near Pergamum. Wow. Okay. And I remember when we were at Aphrodisias, there was a very energetic um, curator there that was constantly unearthing new treasures. And Ephesus also is just Ephesus begun. is being excavated. Also, Troy has been very much excavated, and there has been few reconstructions and restorations. Now, when I went to Troy, it was pretty discouraging to me as a not a very uh, sophisticated uh, eye. It was just a pile of rubble with a big wooden horse that was designed for the tourists. Is it more user-friendly right. now? Or was it, that your experience, Thomas? Well, when I went to Troy, um, what was interesting is there's, there's the whole story about how it was discovered by Heinrich Schliemann, where... He's kind of an Indiana Jones type. He pretty much dynamited the whole thing to get to the gold. And although it sparked archaeology because they finally discovered Troy, he kind of left a mess in it, which is kind of how it looked when I went. Do you remember the big horse? Oh, yes, absolutely. I climbed the big horse. There's a big wooden horse there, and I remember I didn't come here to see a big wooden horse. So uh, what's what's the latest with Troy, Melly? Well, we still have the horse, but we now have nine cities very well marked. And we have the first city covered with a huge big tent, which looks very much like the sails of the Achaeans who came to invade Troy. So it gives you that feeling that the wind was important for Troy. And you can actually see the walls of the city from 5,000 years before our time. So that was the Trojan Wars were... When were the Trojan Wars? 1200 B.C. 1200 B.C. But there was... um, People living there since 5,000 5, before our time. Lots of history in Turkey and lots of new things to see. Thomas, thanks for your call. Thank you very much. Melly, today we're talking about independent travel in Turkey, road tripping in Turkey. And if somebody's dreaming about, you know, they've done Istanbul, they want to get out into the countryside, vast country, diverse country that's, you know, bigger than the state of Texas as far as geography and uh, 70 million people and a history that goes back, like we just mentioned, to 5,000 B.C., what are some themes for um, a road trip? What could you lace together to give your trip some sort of focus? 
That's a very good question, Rick, because Turkey is a very big country. Without a theme, without a focus, you would be lost and you would be wasting your time. I will recommend as one theme in Turkey to follow the footsteps of St. Paul. Many people are interested so they can fly or take a bus down south to Adana. From Adana, they can go to Tarsus, the birthplace of St. Paul. And then they can, in two hours by bus, get to Antioch, the place where St. Peter and Paul had met and the place where the term Christianity was first used according to the Bible. And then from there, following the footsteps of St. Paul, they can go through the Cilician Gate up to Cappadocia, onto Konya, down to Antalya, Perge, where St. Paul and his friend was thought to be the God and his messenger. Now, aren't there some biblical names that we all know that are today modern Turkish names? Yes, Antioch, Tarsus, Antioch of Pisidia, so what is Antioch Perge, today? What is Antioch? Antakya. Okay, so this is a matter of confusion for travelers. So remember, when you're looking at a map looking for Antioch, you won't find it. You'll find Antakya. Is that right? That's correct. And that's mostly in the southwest of Turkey, This uh, the footsteps of St. Paul. What's another theme? The other theme can be geology. People can go to Cappadocia to see canyon lands-like formations blended in with wonderful history, mainly of early Christianity. From Cappadocia, they can go to Mount Nemrut. It is a wonderful way of looking down onto the eastern Anatolian plateau And where you will be looking down from this mountain, you will see the fabulous, gigantic statues of Komnenes. And then just just to catch people up here, Cappadocia is—it's like our southwest kind of uh, national parks. It's just this great area with all sorts of dramatic pinnacles, and on top of that, history, early Christian history. Cappadocia is a wonderful region in the center of Turkey, and then Mount Nemrut would be a little bit further east, and that's the mountain where you have to get up early and and do a little bit of hiking, but everybody wants to be on top of Mount Nemrut early in the morning for the sunrise, and you're surrounded by these. Giant statues that go back to, what's the megalomaniac king's name? Komnenes. Say it again. Komnenes. Komnenes. And uh, he thought by putting these statues on top of this incredible mountain, he would be uh, forever remembered. And I don't remember him. (laughs) (laughs) But I like his statues. And then they can go down in between Euphrates and Tigris to find many biblical cities and also some ancient sites. So we have covered the... Arches Valley-like of a formation, and then we've covered the peak of a mountain, and then we went down to a valley, which, of course, is a very historic one. Well, the Tigris-Euphrates, that's the cradle of civilization, right? That's the cradle of civilization. And you got Haran there. Talk about Haran. And that's where the Garden of Eden is. There, in the Garden of Eden, in between those two rivers, there's Haran, where Abraham had visited And according to the Bible, he took the people of Haran to Canaan. So now that goes all the way back to Old Testament history. Exactly. So 
following different geologic formations, you can also find yourself in the midst of wonderful, unique history. Now, when I go to, like in Greece, there's Sparta is very famous. And if I go to the town of Sparta, there's, there's not a hint of anything historic that I could find in Sparta. It was a modern-feeling town. Of course, you could go to a little bit of the ruins, but the town itself was, was pretty nondescript. When you go to Haran, that goes back to Old Testament times, I felt some magic there. It looks like people in Haran are still living the lifestyle of Abraham because they're dressed the same way. They still speak the same language, the Aramaic language that Abraham used to speak. And their houses are built of clay, adobe, with conic roofs, which is very unique. And uh, Turkish government is protecting those houses. So you really find a site which looks like Abraham could be living and hit you on the face when you go around the corner. I'll never forget you said, now, these humble-looking mud huts, I mean, they were like, they looked like those tall cone heads on Saturday Night Live, that kind of image of a house. And you, it was so hot. It was miserably hot. And you said, we'll go inside. It'll be cool. And I go, yeah, right. They don't have air con here. And we stepped inside these huts, and it was absolutely comfortable. The mothers were there with their little children. You know why hot air goes high? And there's a hole on the top of those houses. So the hot air of the lower part, it just circles on those That's conic roofs. That's why they're roofs. shaped like Saturday Night Live exactly. cones. Exactly. Huh. See, they were smart back then. How many years before Christ? 2,000 years 2,000 before years Christ. before Christ. So you walk through these towns, and honestly, you hardly know what century you're in. Tell me, Melly, about the caravanserais and the spice trade and this, what do you call it, the spice trail? Silk Road. The Silk Road, yeah. The Silk Road ends in various parts of Middle East, but one very important track of Silk Road ends in Anatolia. It's kind of funny. The first caravan stop, we call the caravan stops Caravansaray in Anatolia, is called El Aman Caravansaray, which means I've had enough. So in I've had enough caravansaray, people would congregate, and then they will cut through the country from east to west with little branches of roads going to the Black Sea as well, and they will finish in either the Black Sea or the Aegean. And just to paint a picture, these caravanserais are like fortified little uh, overnight stops where merchants can come and park their camels and tell stories and... Uh, they have huge stables because the most important thing was their animals. But then there's a courtyard in the center. Imagine the people playing their music, talking, telling stories, and also you can imagine mm. philosophies being Quite spoken there. Very evocative. important part of the deep history of Turkey, I think, comes out of the caravanserai and the whole literary tradition and so on. We have Caroline on the phone from Lake Forest Park in Washington. Hi, Caroline. Hi, Rick. Hi, Melly. Thanks Hi. for your call. Got a question or a comment from Ellie? I have a question about um, traveling along the Black Sea in Turkey and being pretty low to the ground and just going into the woods and traveling through the villages. Caroline, the Black Sea coast of Turkey is probably the least known part of Turkey. The Black Sea has very high mountains which start right from the Black Sea. The distance between the mountains and the ocean is as wide as only one highway's width. 
when you are traveling in the Black Sea, you will climb up to the mountains. I mean, not with ropes or anything. You can, there are small meandering roads that go up into the mountains, into the rainforests. Once you're finished with the rainforest, then you come up to the plateau where you would be above the clouds. And there are mini tracks. You can walk, you can hike, you can camp. Caroline, are you thinking of exploring the Black Sea coast on your own or with a group? Either. I haven't really thought that far. If I do, it'd be with a small group versus, you know, I mean, like eight or less or even four. Or I might do it by myself. I'm sure there are tour companies like Melly's that do tours in that region, and it'd be a great itinerary. But Melly, if somebody wanted to go on their own, is it reasonable to find bus connections and hotels and people to help you out? Bus connections. And also there's a phenomenon in Turkey. We call it minibus, minibus. You can take minibuses up to those little roads which goes above the clouds. Okay, that's in every experience. town along the shore, you can find minibuses going to Yayla. Please remember that word. You want to go to Yayla. How do you spell that? Y-A-Y-L-A. Caroline, it sounds like an exciting region. When I was there, I was so impressed by how welcoming the people were. They just love to dance and invite you into their homes. Isn't that where the um, hazelnuts are, are really special? I mean, the, the people just crazy about hazelnuts. What's you can it? crack the hazelnuts with your teeth there, and they would give you, if it's the right season, they will just give you kilos of hazelnuts just as gifts. Caroline, good luck on your trip. Thank you. Thanks for your call. Marsha's on the line in Manchester, New Jersey. Hi, Marsha. Hi. Thanks for your call. What Do you have a, do you have a question or a comment yeah, from Ellen? Yeah, I do. I have a question. I'm going to take a cruise, and it's going to include three days in Turkey, and I want to make the best of them. Uh, two days in Istanbul and one in uh, Kusadasi. Is that how you say it? Kusadasi. My hometown. Okay. Kusadasi. Oh, okay. So what do you you have a question about getting the most out of your, your free yeah, time? Or, yeah, or, those, I, uh, three I, days. A big issue for you in Kusadasi, I, I would imagine, is are you going to just spend the time on your own or will you take the optional tour organized by the cruise company? Melly, what would your advice be in that? What do you want to do? You can... Take a private tour to Ephesus that will give you more time on your own. But generally, those cruise ships stay only for half a day. If your ship is staying for the full day, then you can go to Ephesus and then you can wander around in Selchuk. You can go to a little village called Shirinje, only eight kilometers from Selchuk. Or spend your time in Kushadasi, which is more of a shopping place. We should mention to people the big cruise port is Kushadasi, and they stop there because it's a half-hour drive from Ephesus, isn't that right? And Ephesus, the home of the Ephesians, is such a marvelous site from biblical history, and so many important things happened there. The Virgin Mary's house is supposed to be there and so on. I will recommend you to visit Ephesus with a guide. It's very important. Mm-hmm. And if you do, do go have there, that opportunity with the ship. Yeah, I, there is a, something that we got to mention here. When you do take a cruise, and tell me, Melly, if this is your experience. My experience is the cruise company basically rents out the group to a carpet salesman who who comes on as a as a tour guide. But they're primarily a carpet salesman. They don't even pay the person who meets you at the dock. The person that meets you at the dock pays the cruise company to have the a group in his or her control for the afternoon. Oh, that's generally true. 
So, and they do if, that, excuse me, and they do that because they will take you to the obligatory site, the ancient site, and then they'll take you carpet shopping, and the tour guide will get a 20% kickback on whatever the group buys before they go back onto the boat. So it's good business for him. As consumers, it's not wrong for them to do that, but as smart consumers, we should know what's going on. Sure. And also, it's time-consuming. If you are not interested, then you should... Even if you take the tour, then you should be able to plan for leaving the group after the tour is over and find your way back to Kushadesa. There are minibuses, dolmush we call them. You can take a dolmush from Selchuk back to Kushadesa. Dolmush means? Stuffed in. Stuffed in. <laughs> it's a little bus. It's a minibus, and it's a really fun to be stuffed in there. with. But they don't quite stuff people now. Like no, they not anymore. But historically, dolmush. They're called dolmushes. They run around, and they yell what district they're heading to, and people get dolmushed in. Hey, Marcia, thanks for your call. You're welcome. Good luck on your trip. have an email from uh, Steve in Grays Lake, Illinois, and he's interested in traveling beyond Istanbul but concerned about safety. Steve asks, are there any areas in Turkey that really should be avoided? I would not avoid anything in Turkey. I think I would be able to go everywhere. If uh, you go to far east, farther south of Hakkari, that region is not allowed for any travelers, not just tourists, but any travelers. When we were filming there, we were routinely taken in by the military police, and they took us to the the main base, and I think the commander was just well, they, bored. Well, they will ask for your ID. They would want to know why you're why traveling. You're it's, but, a, it's a sensitive area. But it's a safe area. So, Millie, why would the east uh, be the most sensitive with all the military police and so on? It's not the east. Let's make it clear. It's to the south of Hakkari, which is in the far southeast of Turkey. Okay. In that region, we have military. Okay. They... And that's they, where your ethnic group, the Kurds, is most popular. Well, the Kurds are all over Turkey, mm-hmm. but in that southeast part of Turkey, we are being confronted with the Iraqi issue, the problems right. from Iraq. Okay. So other than that, anywhere in Turkey is safe to travel. That brings up an interesting issue because there has been some press about this lately that in Turkey, of course, Turkey is a great democracy and Turkey is a modern democracy and it's not in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. You're surrounded by some pretty tough neighbors. And up until World War One, you could say it was still a medieval kind of society. And then, of course, Ataturk, the great George Washington of your modern nation, pulled Turkey out of the chaos in the Middle Ages and off the buffet line of European colonialism and made it a great power that it is today. And of democracy with a very strict separation of mosque and state. Ataturk was adamant about not letting Turkey become a theocracy. Is that correct? That's correct. But I can sort of hear your question coming about this turban issue, the woman covering their heads. No, that wasn't my issue. No? My question was, that's a, that's a good question, I must say. But my question would be, I've read that people cannot say bad things about Ataturk. And is that is Ataturk the only statue that can be shown in public? Or what is the deal about that? No, Ataturk's statue is not the only statue that can be shown in public. We have statues of ballets and ballerinas. Mm-hmm. But yes, you're right. We cannot, by law ridicule or belittle Ataturk. We love him, respect him so much that we don't want to be harassed on that. And you know what's so interesting to me is, much as that seems anti, hard to, hard to just accept as a modern free person that somebody says you can't um, insult somebody, I think Ataturk is so great that Turks go with that. I mean, it's not a real problem because 
when you really know Ataturk, you've got to realize he is one of the super statesmen of the 20th century in the whole world. He is a super statesman. That's why we call him the father of the Turks. Ataturk means father of the Turks. And we who love democracy, who love freedom of speech, really do not mind if we ban from saying bad things to Ataturk. How would you say something good about Ataturk in Turkish? What's a good phrase about that? Ataturk çok seviyorum. What does that mean? I love Ataturk. Say that again in Turkish. Ataturk çok seviyorum. Beautiful. Charles is on the line in Katy, Texas. Hi, Charles. Thanks for your call. Got a question or a comment for Melly? Oh, yes. Hello, Melly. Hello. I feel like I know you almost as well as Rick. I've seen you so many times on the show. Yeah, Melly helped me on four TV shows. She was a great partner in putting those uh, public television shows together for Turkey. Yeah. And uh, you and I have met several times, Rick. All right. Nice to have you call. What are your thoughts for Melly? Uh, well, I guess to express it in one word is language. I've traveled all over Europe and picked up a little bit of Italian and German and French and etc. But I don't know how accessible the people will be in Turkey since I, of course, don't want Turkish. I don't know how easy it'll be to talk to them, especially when you get away from Istanbul, that sort of thing. All right. What's the language barrier, Melly? Many people speak few words of English, not communicate with you in language. I think eyes and body language will make it quite comfortable for you to communicate with these people. Hey, Charles, it is kind of an adventure, but I've spent a lot of wonderful days in villages in Turkey where there's not even a postcard, much less somebody who speaks very good English. If you speak a little German, that can be helpful a lot in in the countryside of uh, Turkey. One of the tricks I learned first time I ever went to Europe back in 1951 was to look at uh, road signs and store signs and things like that, and you can very quickly figure out the names for things like pants and toilet and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, except if you pay attention to those advertisements. Yeah, I, for years I wondered what schmuck was. All the, all the stores <laughs> were selling schmuck, and then I realized that's that's the word for jewelry in German. Hey, Charles, I'm going to give Melly a little test here. You and I are going together, Charles, in a little village that doesn't even have a hotel, and we want to connect with the people. And I'm just going to say a couple of words to Melly, and then she will give us in a in a little quick nutshell some tips and if it might be a worthwhile way to connect with the people. Oh. Melika, getting a shave in a village in Turkey. You just walk into a barber shop, sit down, and they will know what to do. Just close your eyes. They will put the soap on you. You will look like Father Nicholas, Father Christmas. And then they will start taking the blade, and you will be really scared. But they'll shave off every hair you have on your face. And when you think you've lost all the hair, you're not ready to leave that chair yet because they will have a big fire at the end of a little metal stick and they will torch the leftover hair in your nose, in your ear, and on your chins. Oh, Charles, there you go. You now, didn't that's even... a wonderful question that you, that you brought up, Rick, because uh, I have a, a full beard. Well, you'll be a you'll be a bonfire. <laughs> Don't go in a barber shop. <laughs> They'd love to get their hands on you. Okay, Melly, let's talk about backgammon. Backgammon is a game that you play with little 
tokens and two dice. When two people sit facing each other, start playing, you will immediately have at least a couple of people, if not the whole neighborhood, surround you, and they will all tell each player what the right game should be. Okay, so me and Charles, we sit down in a funky little dusty tea house in the middle of nowhere. And Even if you don't know backgammon, you will play like masters because everyone will tell you what to do. And we'd be welcome in the tea house. You will be very welcome. What would the cost be? Nothing. The cost of a tea, <laughs> Somebody would buy probably. you the tea. It'd be 25 cents for the tea. Talk about a tea house in general. A tea house is a place where people, generally men, would go and spend the whole day with their friends. I don't know what they would be talking to each other because they'd been doing that in the same manner for decades, but they always have something to talk about, mainly politics. They will have tea, and they would probably have the gossip of the village. Oh, now, would that be a good place to go to find uh, someone who might speak enough English or a combination of languages to uh, have an extended conversation? Even if they don't have the language skills, if you really make the right eye contact, they might go and call the boy or the girl from the school, from the neighborhood, ah. who might help you with few words. Don't oh, expect too much, helpful. but they will try their best. Yeah. Now, uh, Charles, let's say you and I want to go to a tea house and uh, suck on one of those big, hubbly, bubbly hookah things. Do they have those in the villages there? They will have them in the villages, and I will recommend you to have the coffee tasting or apple tasting. Charles, ones. have you ever sucked on a hookah? Uh, yes. Oh, you have in Texas? Yeah. No, well, yes, because one of my employees was uh, from Jordan. Okay, so that's big all over the Middle East. Melly, yeah, yeah. what are the skills for a hookah? You ask for a nargile. In Turkish, it's nargile. Right. Don't say hookah. They would not know what hookah is. Right. And they will ask you what type of tobacco you want. You can either say plain or you can ask for tobacco soaked in different tastes like coffee, even cappuccino. And hashish? No, you cannot have Charles, hashish. Charles, only in Texas can you do that. Okay, so let's say I and want apple-flavored tobacco, Apple-flavored right? tobacco. Right. Oh. And then they will bring the hookah. They will light the fire. They will put the tobacco on top, wait for a little while, and then start inhaling. And as you inhale, the smoke will go through the water, filter through the water, and then you will love that taste. So we could be sitting there in the tea house, playing backgammon, ask for the nargile, and then they would bring little mouthpieces so we would share the mouthpieces? How does exactly. that work? Exactly. It's a very social thing. They will bring one nargile with little mouthpieces. You can share the So they're like little, like, they're like a golf tee thing almost, that small. Oh, and they stick like it on I'm the end. Home. And we're just relaxing, having fun with our Turkish friends, even though we don't speak the language. I mean, they're teaching us how to suck on the nargile. Or they're, they're cheating for us on backgammon. They're bringing us more tea. We're making all sorts of friends. <laughs> ah, it sounds good. Oh, it does. Now, let's say we're with our wives there and we all want to go to a hammam, one of them Turkish baths where everybody uh, just gets naked and soaks in Byzantine splendor. Melly, tell about that. First of all, you have to know that those people who will have their hands on you and will wash you do not think who you are. You might as well be a car. You could have been a log. They would be washing it. So don't feel intimidated by having a man touching you 
or climbing on you to rub your shoulders. That's very important. I think Americans feel so a little... So whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're, you're likely a to have man, a big Turkish man climbing on you, and he's just thinking of you as a car. Exactly. <laughs> Charles, are you okay with that? Yeah, sure. So I you, mean, that's you, why you travel, isn't it? To that, learn about yeah, the to have big Turkish men climbing on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So let me just get this straight. Every town will have a hammam. That's a public bath. Most every town will have a hammam. And the hammams are very much like in the structure of the Roman baths. You go into these little rooms where you take everything out and you put a cheesecloth around you if you're a woman over your breast if you're a man around your waist and then you go into the hot room when you sit next to the basins you pour water over you and then that big man comes and will lay you on the navel stone will scrub you what's and the navel stone it's a big platform in the middle like of the marble hot room, slab. marble slab. They call it the navel stone? Navel like, stone. Like the center of it all. Yes. A, a navel, wow, okay. And then you lay on that, and then the first thing is scrubbing. Okay. And as they scrub, you get, I think, Rick, you call them Tootsie Rolls. Like Tootsie Rolls of dirt yes. rolling off your skin. Tootsie yeah. Rolls will come out. Dead skin and then and you go back to your basin, wash off the Tootsie Rolls. Hang on. He scrubs you with a like a Brillo pad mitt, right? A raw silk pad. Now, I heard they used this on many people before they discarded. So if you're concerned about this, you'll be scrubbed by a mitt that rolled Tootsie Rolls of dirt off of somebody before you. But they you. wash them. They wash, but they if you are sensitive, them. do some people actually bring in a, a mitt? They can bring their own, and it's called kese. So you could go buy a kese. That'd be a good excuse to go yes. to the market. Buy a kese, bring it into the hamam. Or they might have kisses for sale in the bath. Oh, they do that. Because I would think that's a hygiene concern for some people. Point is, is it men and women mixed in the zone, or it's only women Generally not, but in tourist areas, there are some men and women. So if you are concerned about being in a bath with men and women, then you have to let the bath know that you want a woman's side. We're we're in a village with no tourism. No, there won't be. In a village, there will not be co-ed. So there would be a place for women and a A place place for for men. men. But generally, it's the men that do the scrubbing and the and the massaging. Generally. And that's a time-honored ritual, I would think. And, and Is very... this a, a cultural tradition that precedes uh, Rome uh, or, or not? Because it sounds so much like a Roman bath. In Anatolia, the Romans had started. In Central Asia, the Turks had started. And then the Turkish bath superimposed with Roman baths. So it just came to be a very famous and wonderful feeling. Charles, it's been fun traveling with you. Thank you. I always enjoy traveling with you, too, Rick. Well, I'm, I've enjoyed this village, and uh, we'll do some more. Thanks for your call Thank and, you. and, and best wishes. See you wishes. in Turkey. Good. We'll talk to you later. Caroline in Fort Worth, Texas, emailed us, and she writes, I've traveled with two other women to Istanbul and found that people, especially men, treated us with great respect. The only aggressive men were at the Blue Mosque, and those were trying to block our way until we were going to buy their postcards. Harmless, but still sort of annoying. Often the people tried to help us and find places we wanted to see. What kind of uh, concerns would women have if they're traveling beyond Istanbul into the countryside, into the untouristy areas? In untouristy areas, you will find the men less aggressive. You will find people in general more helpful, but you should always have common sense don't think every person who acts friendly would be your friend. 
sometimes if somebody is overly friendly, they may be a, a scam artist or something. Is that the deal? Yes. And you have aggressive people at tourist places. At because, tourist places, you know, In the yes. middle of nowhere, you go to a famous tourist place. It's the one spot where there are wealthy people from the rich world coming in, and, and every little uh, con artist in the streets knows this is where the big bucks are. And there's also one other issue in the tourist places, generally from Northern Europe, women come looking for Mediterranean men. So men are kind of expecting women to be looking for men. Women come to Turkey looking for men? Yes, from northern Europe. Tell me more. You mean well, Scandinavian you. women are, Scandinavian are attracted, women to, the, are attracted to, to the more dark sort of Turkish... Warm-blooded uh, Mediterranean men. And That's do, in the tourist sites. So Turkish men know there's a good chance they could be taken home by some statuesque blonde Swede. If not taken home, have good couple of weeks together. Oh, right there. Right I see. There. So these guys are knowing that they have a special appeal to these northern women. Huh. What about the women, Turkish women? That's a whole different thing. They're not as accessible. Well, maybe we should go to Scandinavia. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. We're talking with Melika Saval, and we're learning a lot about Turkey. <laughs> We've got Bruce on the line in Tempe, Arizona. Hi, Bruce. Hi, Rick. Hi, Millie. Hi. You thinking about Turkey? Oh, yes. Uh, in fact, I went there last year, and after the tour was over, I was able to travel just as you were saying. I flew on my own down to Adana, took a one-hour bus to uh, um, Antakya, Gaziantep, Samlirfa. I'm talking about the different themes of travel that you mentioned. I enjoyed the Roman ruin theme of the mosaics, but I noticed you could also see the Christian biblical sites at the same time, because you've got them both in Antakya, you've got them both in Sanlirufa and Gaziantep. And that was quite aggressive, those places you were going to. That's very off the beaten path. You were heading quite far into the east. Was it um, comfortable for you? Oh, yes. I felt very comfortable traveling on my own. You know, I could feel free to wander the bazaar in Sanlirufa and look around, and people were friendly. And um... Now, do you speak Turkish? Uh, no, no. I, I tried to learn a couple of words while I was right. there, of course, but I, I didn't know any. You know, Bruce, I'm a little concerned that, you know, Melly and I are aficionados of Turkey, and of course Melly is uh, enthusiastic about getting people excited about going there. Now, you've done it on your own. You've been listening to this interview. Is there anything that Melly said that you think uh, might let people be a little more confident than they should be? Is there any words of advice that you would offer? Well, just, uh, you know, be aware that it works, uh, that it's easy. Um, when I got out of the airport in Adana, there were taxis right there. I said bus station, uh, Autogar. They took me to the bus station. As soon as I got out of the bus, people came up and said, where do you want to go? Uh, I said, Antakya. They said, oh, come this way, and here's the counter for the bus to Antakya. And, of course, the person behind the bus counter spoke English and mm. you know, was able to help very easily. You know, everyone is very much friendly and willing to help you out. And so, and Bruce, you flew to uh, Adana and that, and then to Antakya. You're talking right on the border of Syria. That's quite a bit east, and that's sort of the springboard for venturing further into the east, the more exotic. Right. Uh, I mean, it's technically central Turkey, uh, you know, not the eastern half, but, uh, you know, like in Sanlirufa, the population is half ethnic Arab, half ethnic Kurdish, but everyone was friendly, and I was able to get a great tour up to uh, Mount Nemrut and back in one very long day. So it was really fun. And that's quite a, a arduous day. You've got to get up very early, and there's a fair amount of walking. 
Oh, yes, yes. When that tour was over at the end of the day, um, you know, we got back like at 2 in the morning and the streets are deserted, but uh, they just dropped me off back at my hotel. And yeah. it was. And you're pretty much at the mercy of these uh, hustlers, a tour guide, sort of impromptu guys on the street that you meet to take you, to help you out and give you directions. Is that true? Well, you know, everyone's business model in Turkey is they want to engage you in conversation, so you just have to, you know, learn to, you don't feel obliged out of politeness to continue a conversation with everyone, but uh, you find who you want to talk to and follow up on it. And Very good point. Did you use the Lonely Planet Guide for Turkey? Yes, yes. I, I read several guides before I went, and I brought the newest Lonely Planet Guide with me. i got to say, that is, as far as I'm concerned, the best guide for independent travel in Turkey, the Lonely Planet Guide. Meli, would you agree with that? I agree. Yeah, it's, it's just awesome. The Lonely Planet Guide to Turkey. Bruce, what a empowering sort of testimony. Thanks for your uh, contribution there. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, happy Come travels. back to Turkey for other parts. Oh, yeah. I've got to see the Black Sea coast still. There's lots more. All right. That's one thing I've learned. We've been taking groups to Turkey for ages. People go there, and they come back with a much better understanding of a, of a country that, that really is so often misunderstood. It's a complicated world. Turkey, with 70 million beautiful people the size of Texas, offers a big welcome and a warm welcome, and it's better than ever, I would say, now to travel in Turkey. And I would actually say it's more important than ever for Americans to get a good look at a moderate, modern, democratic, Islamic nation. Thank you, Rick. To learn about Melly's work, you can visit her website at melitour.com, M-E-L-I-T-O-U-R.com. Let's see something in Turkish. Should I say teşekkür? Uh, That's thank you. Teşekkür. Teşekkür. I should say teşekkür. Bir şey değil. So I said thank you, and you said and what? And I said nothing. Oh, it's nothing? You're welcome. Let me try that again. Teşekkür. Bir şey değil. And then I will say merhaba. Merhaba, Rick. What does merhaba mean? Hello. Hello. How do I say goodbye? <laughs> Allah'a ısmarladık. It's a bit difficult. Say that again. Allah'a ısmarladık. Allah'a ısmarladık. It's like adieu. adieu. Leaving you with God. Leaving, Allah'a ah, ısmarladık. Like adios. Yes. Adios. Same. Allah'a. Allah. Allah is God. Right. Allah'a ısmarladık. Leaving you with Allah. Beautiful. Melika Saval. Happy travel. Thank you, Rick. Rick Steves teaches smart travel to Turkey, Greece, and beyond. On Rick Steves' website, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours, a monthly travel newsletter, and a world of information to help you turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. To prepare for your next Greek or Turkish adventure, begin your trip at ricksteves.com.